This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. Your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 173, Demystifying Generative AI and ChatGPT, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, with our guest, Robert Levine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is your host, Greg Gazin. Artificial intelligence, AI, you've all heard it. It's been around for a while, but just in the past year, or maybe even half a year, it's hit us like a tidal wave. And not a day goes by where it's not mentioned somewhere in the media or social media. But our guest today is going to help us demystify a good portion of that. Robert Levine is a generative AI and digital media specialist with a passion for audio podcasting and video production. He is the owner of the Digital Grapevine, committed to serving as a thought leader in aligning digital branding and marketing strategies with clients' business goals and objectives. With decades of experience, Robert helps guide clients in defining their digital vision by helping structure and present digital programs and recommendations to business owners and their respective decision makers. He also provides ongoing support, mentoring, professional development, and training to staff of client establishments when required. His organization, The Digital Grapevine, offers a wide range of services, including insightful video production, actionable business leadership, memorable online branding, disruptive digital strategies, and transformational social tactics. Pretty incredible. In his spare time, when he has time, Robert is also the host producer of numerous podcast and video interview series. The Digital Grapevine recently relaunched their digital content creator for hire platform to focus on generative AI projects. And I have to tell you that Rob is the first person on the planet to have a digital avatar of synthetic speaking in 10 languages modeled in his own vocal tone. And hopefully he'll tell us a little bit about that. From his home in Brantford, Ontario, Canada, where the telephone was born, and of course, the infamous Wayne Gretzky family, please welcome back to Toastcaster, Robert Levine. And here I am, the one and only Robert Levine. (laughs) Hi, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks again for coming back. I mean, whenever I think AI, I just, I think Robert. And just to kick us off, we we hear the term generative AI. Now, is is that like chat? GPT, can you just give us a little insight on that? Yeah, so so your your term generative AI, which let's be honest, wasn't even a term maybe a year ago, uh, or started creeping in around that time, I guess, is kind of the umbrella, if you will, of everything that you're seeing right now. Everything from uh, text to audio, text to video, text to image, text to text, you know, all of that stuff. And in the last little bit, obviously, uh, the GPT layer has been the mainstay of that conversation. The wider generative AI field covers literally every single spectrum that you can think that you know a generative uh, platform uh, such as GPT and so forth uh, would live upon. And I do want to state, we use the term AI, it's not AI, right? So AI would imply that it has uh, awareness of what it's saying. These tools generate stuff without understanding what they're generating. So we use the term generative AI and you're hearing AI a lot. It's machine learning. Let's be clear, it's not AI. We're not in the singularity yet. They're not thinking. uh, That's why they can hallucinate. They don't have a sense of what they're saying. 
Oh, interesting. We are going to get into some specifics and talk about a few tools, but even before we do that, as I mentioned in the opening, it's hit us like a tidal wave. And mm. maybe perhaps in in your view, because you're you're right in there, you're right in the, in the middle of all of this. How are you seeing it impacting our everyday lives? <laughs> Everywhere and everything. So we've both been in technology for the better part of all our lives, and we've <laughs> seen what programming has done, automation has done mm-hmm. for blue collars, right? What you're seeing now is the same thing happening for everything that's white collar and creative. So what's left? My biggest assistant, my biggest virtual assistant costs me $30 a month US and that's ChatGPT4. Uh, That has replaced 10 individuals easy in terms of my creative process. And we are going to get you to talk a little bit about ChatGPT4, ChatGPT in general. Just... I guess in a nutshell, I mean, I know you could probably speak um, an hour to this point. But, well, you know I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is some of the, let's let's just call it the good, the bad, and the ugly of. Yeah, yeah, of, I like that. Let's start in reverse. Let's go ugly because that'll be, you know, that's the, that's the fear that everybody seems to have right now. Mm-hmm. Will it take over your job? Will it change everything? Is it going to lie? Are people going to be doing deep fakes? Can someone pretend to be me to my parents? Yes, 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 yes. It could be very, very ugly. Uh, The tools are just tools, right? Uh, I always say this, a nuclear bomb just wants to explode. It's not because it's a bad person, it just wants to explode. So a lot of these tools are made for a purpose and they are capable of operating at a scale and at a complexity that we cannot challenge. But we can leverage these tools to basically take that 80% of the stuff that we do, fill it in with something else, which then opens up the door to say, okay, what do I backfill that 80% with? And that's the big question. That's where, you know, when you think of uh, the the, the TV show Star Trek, where no one really has a job and money's not an issue, you got to get to that point somehow. uh, And you could also not get to that point. And that's where we are right now. That's the ugly is, will we be able to leverage this so that as they are integrated into everything, and I mean everything, are they there to hamper aid? And a lot of it is in the hands of the user. So that's the ugly. So everything from data privacy, fraud protection, all of that stuff is real. Like I said, I, I have a, a code word with my wife so that if ever she hears my voice on a phone and she's not sure if it's me, she'll know uh, because my voice has been cloned. Right. Uh, I can literally call my parents as me and never even speak to them. Right. So that's the ugly. Uh, The bad jobs, jobs, jobs. Right. You've seen what automation's done to factories. The difference is, like I said, we are now in a population of nine billion people. All of those people now have access to the Internet for the most part. Everybody's competing with each other. Now you're not competing with those nine billion people for that job, which would have been the case let's say the last 10 years where remote working and and all of that stuff uh, coming into play, Fiverr and all that marketplace stuff, you're now competing with AI. And like I said, instead of going to Fiverr, I go to generative AI now. And that bypasses a lot of economy. So that's the bad. The good, I'm able to deliver stuff in such a rapid fashion now with such degree of complexity and variability that is well beyond the capabilities of one guy in a basement. And that's the good, is I am able to scale my business and my capabilities and areas of weaknesses, like writing is not necessarily my strong point, but writing is where you need to start with half of this stuff. So 
stuff like GPT is great to help me formulate my ideas and then I take it from there, right? So that's the good, the bad, the ugly. They're all true. At the end of the day, it really comes down to who leverages the tool, what is it leveraged against, and what fail safes are in place. It almost sounds like the industrial revolution. It's no, it's worse. A, yeah. It's worse. This is this this is. There's a reason why when I wrote the digital revolution, I ended it at 2022. So it starts in 1965 with the start of the mailbox and ends just before the craziness of 2023. What's been happening in the last few months has been exponential. It makes Moore's law look like simple math. It, it's it's happening so fast, and now you're getting into scenarios where you know, auto GPT comes in where now that's spawning multiple instances of itself. So it's able to break down complex projects by itself into subtasks. That's more than any employee is able to do. Just for our listeners, for the benefit of our listeners, just tell us a little, what is the digital revolution as you mentioned? So, so the digital revolution is a newsletter that I'm writing right now. So a book basically, and it's all GPT-4 written. I am not writing a single word of it. It's all prompt generated. And because GPT-4 knows things up until, you know, the, the late 2020 uh, or early 2020 range, I could get a lot of the core information about the stuff that got us to where we are. And now what I'm actually doing is I've got a second uh, series where I'm going post-2023, and I'm using the new uh, web plugin capability. So I'm actually querying live content and having the GPT-4 make assessments as to where we're going. So there's two series, the digital revolution, if you will, 1965 to 2022, which is a core amount of changes that have brought us to where we are now. Uh, and then the next series that I'm building also GPT-4 created, but based on real uh, current uh, information uh, is basically where we're going. So those are the two newsletter series that I'm working on right now. I was enjoying reading the original one, bringing back memories of, you know, how the Intel processor came along and how Xerox first started. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, I, I, I'm loving putting these things together. Like, I say I don't write them, I craft it, right? Like, that's my word. I, I, I craft things because I don't, I can't take full credit, right? But at the end of the day, I'm the human wielding the sword, if you will. I have been learning so much about that era. And, and just to give you a sense of how the process works, because this will play into your future question is, I first of all, give it some basic information about the topic. So I'm, I'm seeding it with information. So it's not making stuff up, I should say. So for example, what type of information? Give us an example. Yeah. So let's say we're talking about what happened in 1965 with the mailbox, right? So I'm letting it know the names of the people, the year, the main events to give it the core information so that it's able to interpret what I'm trying for it to script without having to make stuff up, right? Because all it's doing is it's writing words and coming up with the next word and the next word and the next word, right? With no real human thought process, right? So that's where the hallucinations come in. So the more you can seed it with factual content, now you're just using the tool, writing capabilities of the tool to format and expand upon based on what it already knows and what you're providing. So I write up the first uh, the post. So let's say we're talking about, you know, the first transistor or something like that. It'll write it out. But then I take that same content. And this is where the, the power of the generative AI comes in, because I don't write any of this. I take the content that I wrote it, and then I give it another prompt and say, okay, take that and give me an impact quote and five FAQs based on that topic. And that's where you get the quote and the FAQs at the bottom. And all of that is generated uh, using the GPT-4 engine, but it's all fed 
as opposed to just completely making stuff up, if you know what I mean. So you're able to get the accuracy. And that's where a lot of people, especially if they're just using 3.5, which is an older data model, they're using it like they would use Google and using it for answers. It's just formulating words. If it doesn't truly understand, it's still going to formulate words. And that's the hallucination. The more you can train it and guide it, and then just say, now that you know what I want to talk about, use the power of your large language model to formulate this into something that is readable in whatever format you want or whatever language you want and so forth. Uh, that's where the workflow comes into play. And a lot of the good, the bad, the ugly going back, a lot of people mm -hmm. complaining about output and stuff like that. They're thinking it's Google. They're thinking they're connecting to the internet. They're thinking that they're asking live information as opposed to talking to a, a large language model whose sole job is to do generative pre-trained transformation. Uh, and that's, that's where the big disconnect is. So when you know how to use the tool as intended, garbage in, garbage out, right? We've been saying that for God knows how long, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny, I'm thinking as you're speaking, and, and, and one of the questions I did have originally was, is is this going to take away jobs? And you already answered that. Yes, yes, it, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it also sounds to me is that it's going to create yes. different types of jobs, because it sounds like from what you're telling me, so for example, you're generating these articles, Yep. you need to give it the parameters, you need to give it some guidance. So you need that, well, let's just say for lack of a better term, the prompt, the term is prompt engineer. You need to be the prompt engineer. <laughs> I was going to say analog input. Yeah. But yeah, prompt engineer is better. That is the official term, right? You're, and I will say right now, the best prompt engineers are not those that are mechanical engineers or electrical engineers or technical engineers. They're the linguistics. How do you talk? How do you formulate a question? How do you tell it how to format itself, right? And that's far more understanding language than engineering. Yeah, absolutely. So you are going to need those those yeah. writers and those wordsmiths. It's the soft skills, right? We always talk about the hard skills and the soft skills. Hard skills is understanding the technology. Soft skills is being able to write the right prompt because garbage in, garbage out. Absolutely. Now, you've already started talking about the writing. I know for people who are thinking, well, I've seen AI before. You, you were seeing chat boxes. You know, you go online to a company and you're asking, instead of looking for an FAQ, you're asking for you ask a question in, in sort of a natural language. Yep. And then, of course, the latest buzzword, of course, everywhere is, is ChatGPT. And I'm assuming that you're using, you were using ChatGPT to generate these, these articles. Can you perhaps enlighten us a little bit more about what it is? Because there might be some people out there that sort of heard about it, but may not necessarily know what it is. Yeah, OpenAI is the company that is doing a lot of the foremost stuff that you're seeing right now. So most of the buzz that you're hearing is relating to what OpenAI is doing. So that's your, your GPT-3 your GPT-3, your GPT-2. What you're now seeing now uh, is GPT-4. Now, I'm a pro user of ChatGPT, which is uh, the product that interacts with their GPT layer, and that gives me access to GPT-4 uh, for X amount of time per day, right? So most people that are playing around with ChatGPT are only hitting the 3.5 engine, and I'll make that very clear. So biggest differences between 3.5 and 4. 3.5 is extremely fast, 4 is slow. And the reason 4 is slow is it's trained on a significantly larger, I mean, significantly, big word, a larger data set. So it's able to formulate much larger answers, much more intelligent answers. And it also has a lot more frameworks built into it to avoid the problems that 3.5 were having where people were doing nefarious things with it. So it's got built-in 
protections so that it doesn't, you know, say things it shouldn't be saying. Most of the people interact with 3.5, and that has a smaller token set, meaning the information you send to the API needs to fit into X amount of tokens. It processes those tokens and then sends you back an answer in the form of tokens. But the answer in 3.5 is much smaller because the only amount of tokens it can deal with is a much smaller token, whereas GPT-4, you can literally give it you know, a significant amount of, of content and it'll remember it. So its ability to parse through bigger data sets and, and formulate bigger output is what makes GPT-4 powerful, extremely powerful. And GPT-4 is powering Bing because Microsoft invested $10 billion, yes, billion dollars wow. into OpenAI, which is now also why the latest version of ChatGPT's plugin for the web is called Bing. Imagine that. <laughs> so the latest version of ChatGPT4 has what's called plugins, which is what is making it massive because now, up until now, it didn't have access to anything. It lived within its own little generative world. With these plugins, I can now interface Zapier, which is interfacing everything, right? Google, the list goes on. I can uh, interact directly with OpenTable and do a reservation straight within a chat. Um, so all of these plugin providers are coming into a storefront within the GPT world. And one of the biggest ones is stuff like access to world news, access to the web. So you're now able to leverage GPT-4 against the internet as it stands right now. Whereas prior to that plugin, you were only interfacing within the la large language model that it had. Uh, so it didn't know stuff prior to like, you know, 2022 or, or whatever the date is, right? But now, like I said, I can literally give it, I don't even go to websites anymore. We were talking about the death of stuff, the death of SEO. I don't need Google. I literally give it the URL. I say, you know what? I need you to summarize this URL and give me the 10 points and write it in the style of a, a, a funny man uh, where every single word is a rhyme and it'll do it. So you are now interpreting every single bit of content on the internet through this GPT model to present that data the way you want to see it. So typically, I did this last night. Uh, a new article came out. It had nine facts. So I, I gave it the URL. I said, uh, summarize the nine facts for me. So I went to the website, figured out what the nine facts were, came back, gave me a bullet point. I said, that's great. You did a great job. Now give me an executive summary for that that I would present to an executive. Went off and took that data, which has now been seeded. So it's real data. It's not making stuff up. It's just formulating that content into the way I want it. So it did that and I said, fine. Now I want to have a LinkedIn post and I want to have a voiceover script based on that. And it went off and did that. So in the span of literally five minutes, I had digested a brand new blog article that someone at this company probably spent two weeks writing, never went to the website, got all the information I wanted, generated a script, passed that script on to my client, and she's releasing it as a video later tonight. Well, wow. How many jobs is that? How much traffic did that not get as a result? I'm not even using Google. I'm not browsing the web through the web anymore. So what does that mean for Google search? What does that mean for anything? Right? So when you talk about what's impacted, nothing is not being impacted by this. And I'm not being extreme when I say this. It is far reaching through every single device. You know, just like we talk about the internet of things and all that stuff. Now imagine Siri and Alexa with GPT-4 behind the scenes. That's what's coming. Oh, that's incredible. It is. 
Because now you're in a scenario where you can turn around and go, Alexa, what's today's news? It'll tell you the news, right? Or she'll tell you the news. Imagine now you go, Alexa, tell me the news, but I want you to make a joke about it. And it'll do that, right? So you do that right now in ChatGPT. It generates the text. It's only a plug in away before that text is sent to a text to audio creating and you're getting the answer live, right? So a lot of these newer chatbots are leveraging a GPT platform as a middle tier API between the query and the answer, right? Whereas the ones you were referring to are not GPT at all. There's no AI. There's no, what it is, is a fixed set of answers and a machine learning algorithm that dictates what are the parameters that would indicate which answer to provide, right? So it gives you a range. So it's nowhere close to, to what you're seeing with the generative AI. The chatbots that are in play now that I'm doing with GPT-4 and GPT-3.5, I will literally tr train the engine, the chatbot engine, on a set document and I can now interact with that document in any language that I want, in any style that I want. I can ask it questions, it'll answer it. That is full generative AI chatting. That is definitely leveraging GPT. The nice thing with that is literally, I've, I've seen people do it. They start the conversation, it's like, okay, now I wanna speak in Spanish with you and the chatbot just continues because it's got all of those powers and now it has that extra content. So typically the chatbots that you see coming down the pipe that are powered by these things, uh, you got to be careful because the bot can hallucinate, as we've talked about. So the safeguards that need to be in place for legal purposes, let's say, are huge. So when you're talking about implications for corporations, that'll slow things down. And I know I'm skipping forward in your question here, but I'll answer it, is corporations need to contain their data within their organizations. All of these systems are basically a third-party provider, and you're sending your data to them. So the big companies won't be using these in the way I'm using them, they're going to need their own LLMs and, G and models in their organizations within the firewall, right? So we're going back to the old days of mainframes, for lack of a better term, where everything's in-house. Uh, because you want it to be able to take the entire repository that you've been collecting for the last 50 years in your CRM systems and whatnot, and then have an AI interpret that. Like, take the word street, in your data sets, ST, street, S, ST, dot, da, da, da. GPT doesn't care. It just understands all of them as being streets. So when you're now doing data queries with a GPT layer that has an understanding of the variances on your query, that's huge. That's huge. And we've got a lot of garbage data out there. So when we're talking about new jobs, there's an entire subset of people that should be hired just to fix the data that we've been throwing up on servers for the last 40 years, but that needs to be done within the infrastructure of an organization because you don't want that data, A, training GPT-5 with your corporate intellectual data or being sent outside of your firewall, right? Uh, and then, like I said, the litigious aspect is you don't want these things living in the wild where people are jailbreaking them, having your engine say something it shouldn't and then suing you for it, right? So those are the real issues slowing things down. If yeah. it wasn't for that, you'd be seeing me because I don't have those limitations. I just put it out there, right? Because the stuff I do is public, for lack of a better term. Because I was going to ask you the issues. Uh, one was the privacy issues, but the other one is also accuracy. Because I know I've asked ChatGPT, I've asked it questions where I knew the yep. answer and the information was wrong. I ah. would tell it it was wrong. I would yeah. ask a question again and it would give me a different answer. Yes. Still wrong. But here's the thing. It doesn't know what it's telling you. It's just wording words. So that's hallucination. 
it will always give you an answer. The core of the prompting, especially when you're dealing with mid prompts, and I, I won't get into that right now, but when you're dealing with a mid tier prompt whose job is to contain the conversation to the topic, because GPT as a model is meant to be open and wild, meaning I'll talk about anything and everything in any style you want, right? Whereas if you take that and you put it on something that is a financial institution, let's say, it's got to speak in a very specific way. So a lot of the existing layers that you see out there are pre-scripted, legally approved answers. And what's going to slow a lot of these rollouts is you're not going to get any of those legal approvals for probably another five years if you're a big corporation, or you're not going to get IT approval because you're sending your data set outside of the firewall. And a lot of businesses are getting in trouble right now because their employees are cheating behind the scenes by using OpenAI, ChatGPT to do their job, and they're putting proprietary information in the quarries. And let me be very clear. ChatGPT uses your chat history to train GPT-5, you know, so it's it's a give and take. Mm. You've mentioned a couple of things that we can already perceive as, as misconceptions. What are some of the big misconceptions, especially for people who are, this is where this is brand, well, it's brand new to a lot of people, but for those people who are sort of, well, I'm not really sure about this, or I've heard about this. What are some of the maybe larger misconceptions out there about this generative AI or even about chat GPT? I think the biggest one is that they think it's AI and it's not, right? We're, that, that's marketers using a common term that everybody has been hearing for 30 years and, and are, is using it probably 20 years ahead of time, right? But we are also at an age now where the Neuralink just got approved by the FDA. So you're going to be getting... Well, let's be perfectly honest. You know where we're going to be a year from now? You're going to have a neural link on a human that's going to have a back-end connection to a LLM model, as well as the ability to surf the internet. All of these AP APIs can be passed through a neural link, right? So imagine being a superhuman a year from now, having access to everything that we've just been talking about through your brain. That's what the neural link is. And we're a year away from that. They're, they just approved human sampling. I don't think it's time for that yet, but that's just me. But you are going to get human trials of people implanting a neural chip to connect to an engine that will provide you content. Wow. What's the LLM? Okay. So, so LLM is your la large language model. So there's two layers that come into play when we're talking about the world of ChatGPT. First of all, ChatGPT is a product right? GPT is a technology, LLM is a technology. So what they've done is they've created a very simplistic chat-based interface to their GPT layer. You can also go on Playground, which is more for techies, uh, but they basically made it so that any human being that knows how to type can now interact with their, their engine. So that's that was ChatGPT. And then depending on your account, you have access to either 3.5 or 4. Most people will only have access to 3.5, which is a model version. And the models are based on a uh, neural language pattern that basically goes through a crap load of data and figures out the math of that. So it's able to formulate an equation that if I say the sky is, that it will answer blue because it has seen the sky is blue more times than anything before. Right. So that's fundamentally how the process works. So the LLM indicates the large language model that is used to train the GPT. So it is a collection of everything that's been on the Internet, everything that's been on Twitter, everything like the Facebook one is based on everything you've put on Facebook for the last 10 years. Right. Uh, they have their own LLM. Right. I think it's called Lambda, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the list goes on. And all of these LLMs then need to have a engine 
that leverages that large language model. And that's where GPT comes in. What GPT stands for is generative pre-trained transformer. So what does that mean? It generates content. It's been pre-trained on a set of data. And in this particular case, GPT is trained on language, writing, verbiage, that type of language, right? You've got other systems that are uh, used for creating graphics or whatnot. This one is trained on language, right? So it's based on a large language model that is able to then transform a prompt into an answer. So that's what GPT is. The greater the LLM, the better the data set. The stronger the engine, GPT, in the case of four being better than three, five for certain things and not as good for certain things, you're in a scenario where you now have a very easy tool that people can interact with these models. And with these new plugins that they've introduced, now extend that to the internet. You never need to leave chat GPT to interact with the web now. And the way you interact with the web is however you want it. So what does that mean? What does that mean, right? Uh, and I've always said, if people don't create content, the content doesn't feed the engine. If you know, so, so you still need the need for people to create for it to continue to learn. But if you're not going to the websites anymore, you know, people stop creating because they're not seeing the traffic. So it's going to really change how and what people create um, and where they create. Because like I said, I hardly leave my 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 chat window now i i don't even go to google or bing i don't need to that's interesting you've done a whole bunch of whiz bang things and i'm going to get into a couple of them shortly but even before we get there i'm just curious you just touched upon something where you said you pretty much live in the chat gpt window yeah let's just say let's just call it short term let's just call it for the average everyday yeah. individual how is this going to change the way they the way they work what are they going to see let's say in the next year okay let's compare let, let, let's say we go back a few years when google first got introduced and how you started using that to interact and find stuff right you what kind of questions what kind of search terms did you put how complex are those queries right not a lot of people know how to properly query google and it's been around for how long right uh, most people are really simplistic in their queries and that same simplicity comes in the prompts and that's where a lot of the you know oh, it's not doing it right no you you're not doing it right <laughs> The interaction is, is a chat, right? So the pre-trained aspect is they spent a lot of money and a lot of people for a lot of years going through the process of interacting with this tool to learn how to interact with people. And it's learned how to do that. So it's a native interaction where it's not like programming. I don't even have to think about how to structure it. It just dissects it. So you can query it with the most broken up pattern. Heck, you could give it a prompt without vowels and it'll figure it out. Mm, wow. You know what I mean? Because it has been trained on the best language model out there, right? It knows language better than any of us combined. So you're now in a scenario where once you start knowing how to prompt it, how to prompt it in such a way that the information you're getting is accurate, right? Uh, which comes back to how you see things and what you're using as your references and what you're passing in on the prompts. Like I said, most people, their prompts are maybe 10 words. My prompts are a page long. <laughs> you understand how the difference an output comes in, right? So that that is the thing. And then once you have an output, 
the ad hoc nature of then working with that that comes into play. Typically in Google, you get the answer, you go to the website, you read it. This will give you the answer. And if you don't like how it's worded or how it's set up, or let's say you don't quite understand it, one of the easiest prompts, explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old. Yeah. Try having Google do that. You are presented the content as presented by the writer. This presents that content as interpreted by your prompt. Hmm, interesting. Okay. And has the ability to be fully multilingual, meaning you can give it an English website and say, you know what? I'm Spanish. I'd like to have this summarized in Spanish. Never having read the English language to start with. The very fact that I don't need to traffic that site outside of a plugin. Like I said, I, I honestly believe that if the GPT chat GPT plugin store grows the way I think it's going to grow and people use it the way it's going to use, it's going to be on par with the Apple store. And you know what happened with the iPhone when people all started went to apps, everything became an app. Everything's going to become a chat. Okay. So you're going to start seeing some development to expand upon the chat GPT just beyond you simply enter your text into a chat window. Well, the very fact that once you get into an API model, you can feed it anything. Like if you're using full GPT-4, meaning like the API, you could feed it an image and it'll understand what that image contains. I don't can't do that in GPT in chat GPT because it doesn't have that functionality built into the chat. But the actual GPT-4 engine is multimodal. It'll take text input and image input. So you give it a photo of a meal it'll actually understand what that meal is. And then you tell it, figure out what the recipe is for those items. It'll actually come up with the recipe. You want to hear what else it's good at? Creating code. I have it created all the HTML I need. I, I, I say, you know what? I want to have a landing page with this content formatted for me. It'll create the entire uh, HTML, including the JavaScript, including the CSS. And if there's something I don't like, I say, you know what? Modify this. Or let's say I'm having a problem troubleshooting uh, my HTML. For some reason, this ain't working. I give it the HTML, it'll tell me what the fix is. Yeah. Okay. And it does that with Python. It does that with every frigging computer language you can think of. I just happen to be using uh, HTML in these examples. So the last two websites I created weren't created in WordPress with a Nevada theme or whatnot. They were created in old school 1995 HTML, super fast, non-dynamic, static, uh, but fully functional and fully fully uh, device responsive. It knows how to make it device responsive because it knows the code. Yeah. So how many programmers out there need to go to GitHub? Well, guess what? The plugins connect to GitHub. I now have access to the entire GitHub library. That's every single piece of code that's ever been created. Publicly available, I mean. Yeah, we're also starting to see companies that are generating, for example, I saw online, I can't remember the name of the company, but if they say, if you're a podcaster, well, our our AI intelligence can take your podcast, it could summarize it, it can summarize the podcast, it can write a blog post, it yeah, can create all your social totally. media entries. Yeah, yeah. All, all of that you can do in ChatGPT. I could give it the URL of my YouTube channel, it'll basically take the transcript of that from YouTube, feed it into the engine as its seed material, and then use my transcript, and then I can literally create an FAQ from that. I'm going to be doing that with the client, actually, next week. We're rebuilding her website, and I'm going to go through all of her presentation videos, feed it into GPT, and have it create blog posts and FAQs from it. You know how long that would have taken for me if I had hired someone on Fiverr? First of all, it would have sucked. 
you know what the quality is. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. Okay, the quality is unmatched. It truly is. In the right tools, the quality is unmatched. Or in the right hands, I should say, the, the quality is unmatched. It really is. It, it's scaringly good, especially GPT-4. Like I said, you've, you've read the newsletters. That is 100% written and, and seeded by GPT-4. There's not a human piece of content there, except for me prompting it and formulating and crafting it and all that. I spend more time formatting the document than I do creating the content. Seriously. Yeah. I kid you not. It takes me more time to format it, bold it, blah, 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 blah than it does to create it. I could literally create, well, I created that 200 page document for uh, the SEO one, the SEO grimoire, which is a 200 page tech novel. I created it in three days. That's incredible. That's 42,000 words. And it contains everything I know about SEO. I would have, and, and written in the style of an enchanted story using fantasy. I literally gave it a style and it, it wrote my content in that style throughout. Rob, there's also a number of the major players, major companies like Adobe that are starting to get into this. Maybe just share a little bit about what you're seeing there. Yeah. So in the case of Adobe, their main focus is on image generation. That's where they're spending their generative AI. So remember, generative AI is an umbrella, right? So if you think of images, video, text, audio, you know, whatever, automation, they're all layers under that process. Uh, and in the case of Adobe, they've put all of their money or the majority of their money on a product that they're calling Firefly. And Firefly is their image generated uh, capability. It's in the beta version of Photoshop right now, but I can literally open up a blank canvas, draw a circle, give it a prompt, and it'll create an image in that circle. If I draw a square or a squibble or whatnot, uh, it'll use my outline. Um, and just today, like I said, I, I, I literally went, I'll give you a live example of, of what's possible now is I went to the internet and I used Dolly, which is a, a image generating tool using generative AI. And it's really good, but the image size is 512 by 512, right? Because these things are not made, you know, to, to give you the most high res quality out there. And for those of you that may not be familiar with resolution or whatnot, is that it would be your social media quality graphic not you know so you put that on a large screen and it starts getting pixelated uh you can get a thousand by a thousand which is a better resolution you know what i mean still square but let's say you wanted to have something rectangle or a square that's five thousand by five thousand which is a lot of resolution that's where adobe photoshop comes in now with this new capability and they call it generative fill and it's literally it's in beta it just came out like last week i had heard rumblings of it and i got my hands on it literally this morning you are able to modify uh, and create uh, within Photoshop now using the same type of prompt engineering you do for stuff like stable diffusion and Dolly. So in this example, I brought in the image, which was, let's say, 512 by 512, put it in a canvas size of 5000 by 5000, highlighted it, gave it a prompt to basically expand it, and it created a 5000 by 5000 expansion of that image, it figured out what the rest of the image should look like based just on that early sample, and it, it, it looks beautiful. Uh, then I highlighted one object and I said, okay, I want the background to be different. I gave it a different prompt and it changed the background. And then I drew a little circle and I say, I wanna have this item show up there, and it went ahead and rendered it. And I did that in about you know 20 minutes. I didn't draw any of it. It was all prompt based. Is that the same one? Because I I looked I saw online this morning where you did. It would have short... been the one that I would have released. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so feel free to link to that one uh, if, for those of you that are watching it. That 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 is uh, live. That was me done doing it live. 
because typically when I test something, I'll record myself doing it because, you know, why not? I think you told it to insert a spaceship. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I'm working on a project for a client called Skills Trek, which is a kind of Star Trek, Star Wars inspired animation series that is all generative AI created. The images, the backgrounds, the audio, all of it is all generative AI right down to the script. And uh, in that particular case, I've been creating the background images of space and the planets and the, the atmosphere and all of that stuff that I use as the background images using generative AI. Up until now, I would have done that in, let's say, stable diffusion, clip drop, dolly or whatnot, but I'd be limited in the size, right? Because they only give you, you know, something that is a thousand by a thousand, let's say. The ability to then bring any image, and I just happen to bring in a generative AI image into Photoshop for this one, and then make that whatever I need to be and then layer on top of that using prompts, uh, you're going to see a lot of the Photoshop functionality, I think, shift to prompts. So instead of going menu blur, I think you're just going to type in blur background. I think you're going to see a shift in how people interact, and you're going to see maybe a shift more towards the keyboard than the mouse, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Shortcuts, yeah. Yeah. Well, not just shortcuts, prompts, right? Telling prompts. it in your own words what you want it to do versus navigating a series of menus and whatnot. Yeah, shortcuts in that sense, uh, but interpretive in, in nature. But yeah, the ability to generate what is going to be basically the planet that we're landing on in the next episode uh, that you're going to see when episode two comes out is entirely created. And that's a huge image as a result. And that would have cost me a lot if I had done that using standard tools and it's now available as part of my standard Adobe Creative Suite license, which I get every month anyways. That's interesting. So I'm thinking here as you're speaking, I'm thinking, okay, are there ownership issues? Are, are there going to be <clears throat> copyright issues? And what happens? Well, you if can't some... copyright this stuff. That Let me be very clear. Most of the stuff is not copyrighted because part right, whether or not it's images, text or whatnot, because what copyright is based on is how much involvement you have as an individual. And we don't have enough to claim copyright. So we are shifting to a world where all of this stuff has more of an open source, open community. Once it's out there, it's out there. You don't control it. Someone can use it. Like It's going to be the Wild West again for content, both video and everything. Because what's stopping a person from going to your YouTube channel and summarizing your entire YouTube channel videos as a blog post on their site? That's fair use. Now, all of a sudden, all the traffic goes to them for the same content that you created. That you're going to see a lot of curated stuff now coming around where people are just saying, summarize what's happening today. And they have nothing to do. It's literally going to be an automated task that gets run every day. And the API is then going to post it and tweet it and everything. Once you get into the automation of these GPT layers, especially with stuff like auto GPT and stuff like that, it's fire and forget, which is where we get into the ugly. If you trust it, you can fire and forget and it'll hit the target. <laughs> but if you don't know what you're doing, the best automated weapon or, or, or missile or whatever terminology you want to use will miss its target. I'm starting to think it's sounding like clip art. Everyone's going to be using the same technology. It's going to be the same output. Oh, my God. It, you're, I'm already seeing so many videos using the synthetic media of people and whatnot, which is why I'm doing a lot of stuff with puppets, because it's already passe in some ways. It's, it's leading edge. Don't get me wrong. And it's even getting more leading edge where a lot of these digital avatars have the ability. This is the next big one. So 
Most of these digital avatars that you see out there involve a person being in front of a green screen, being recorded. That recording then gets fed into the algorithm. From there, they're able to mimic the mouths and the motion based on the text you give, right? So that's that's how the fundamental process works. You now have the ability to take that avatar of a real human being that got paid to stand in front of a camera and change their outfit using generative AI. You highlight the outfit set, I want a suit. And it'll change that avatar to now have that suit. It'll still be the same face, like that's huge. You're no longer in a scenario where you need the actor to be on the stage in the first place. And that's been in the last six months. <laughs> and you can do it in different languages in your own voice. Well, that's that's the thing. The ability to do multilingual AI voices has been around for a while. Like text-to-speech in the early forms of the 80s was horrible, got better through the 90s, got better through the 2000s. We're there now. Like you can hear it breathe. I'm actually getting the scripting now for these things to act. So in the case of the, 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 the blooper reel that we did, I wanted Trish to speak in a certain pattern. And I literally used the text-to-speech to train the voice to act the way I wanted down to the William Shatner pauses. <laughs> okay. And that was all done via text-to-speech prompting. She never spoke a word of it. Well, amazing. Well, scaringly amazing. Just the other day, and it's funny because you never cease to amaze me with the stuff that you actually put out there. I mean, it's it's so funny because it's almost like you're way ahead of the curve on just about everything these days. And I, the other day, I think I, I saw a post that you did. You were talking about this content creator for hire and you had popcorn, mm -hmm. soda pop and candy. Tell me a little bit about that. So one of the things I love doing, and I started doing this about a year ago, there's a product called Adobe called Character Animator. Uh, so a lot of what I do is generative AI and whatnot. And this one kind of falls into the generative AI, but not really. But it allows me to, to create puppets and I can animate those puppets and feed voice through those puppets and a lot of auto create the mouth motion using the puppet uh, and the vismems and all that type of stuff. And it's really cool because I can do royalty free work. And what I mean by that is there's no royalties for the puppets. There's no actors to pay. It's all created, you know, by me as a puppet. And that gives you complete flexibility because you can have the puppet be white, black, uh, male, female. You can make it a unicorn. You know, the, the, the puppet that we use with the unicorn, you know, is, is really popular, actually. What's nice about that is I had this royalty-free set of four puppets from the old drive-in theater thing. And they're available on the internet. The Adobe gives them out free uh, with no royalty, which is great. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to make an entire team uh, using these four puppets. And I literally had GPT come up with job titles for each of them, what their roles are, what their personas were, and then had it write the media release and had it write the script. Uh, and then I basically uh, did a, another script where I used myself to introduce them. I, and that script then got fed into my audio clone and my video clone. So it's a, a digital representation of me talking in my voice, but not me. There's none of me there. Like none, none of that video has a human in it at all. It's all digital. And then I'm introducing the puppets because it occurred to me, content creator for hire at the end of the day is a team of one. It's me. But what it allowed me to do is create an entire team of fake generative AI members, if you will. And from a website point of view, uh, that changes the entire look and vibe of the site. And I would have never done that if it wasn't for a lot of these things. So what you saw with that video, like I said, was 
digitally animated puppets with digital motions and all that, all, all programmed behind the scenes, a digital representation of me that looks and sounds just like me, introducing a bunch of digital characters uh, that, that are the support staff, if you will, for, uh, for this venture of generative AI. But you said something there, and I'll, I'll pin it on it. I tend to put what I do out in the public in real time, right? I, I have never shied away from sharing the behind the scenes of what I'm working on. So yeah, if you've been following my LinkedIn feed, and I know you have, you would have seen things on that feed years ahead uh, of what you're seeing now. Uh, I was doing GPT stuff when it was GPT-2. You know, people didn't even know what GPT was back then. You know what I mean? I, I was doing stuff with, with text-to-video, text-to-audio. You know, I got involved with the digital avatars really early. I was one of the first people to go ahead and get myself recorded for a digital avatar. And then when, like you said, when the audio capabilities of cloning my voice and multilingual, I still haven't seen a video online of a digital human representation of that individual speaking in their voice and multilinguals. I still haven't come across them. Uh, I believe I'm the only one that, that has gone ahead and pieced all of those to, those things together. Not difficult to do now. It's, it's not a big task to pull off. But the forethought of getting all those tools coming together, uh, that's where the 40 years of digital knowledge come into play, right? Like <laughs> I just see these things as one big quiver of arrows, right? And I have been shooting arrows for 40 years, my friend. I can dead eye these things. <laughs> I love that. The digital drive-in of your dreams. So it's like <laughs> the digital drive. Well, see, that's the thing. I literally gave ChatGPT the idea that I wanted the intro messaging to be in the style of an old 1950s commercial uh, during the drive-in. You know, let's go to the soda pop factory, you know, whatever model. And it knew what that meant. It understood what I was trying to get at. And it verbalized then my verbiage into that style. I would have never written it in that style, let alone in that amount of time. Wow. And mean, it reads beautifully. It, like it, it's, yeah, all, all of my LinkedIn posts, all of my, all of those uh, things that I put as my, as the precursor to whatever I'm promoting on the video, all generated in GPT as well, right down to the emojis. It generates the emojis for me. <laughs> it knows what emojis to put. Yeah. You're talking about podcasting. Let me put an emoji of a mic. Talking about video, let me put an emoji of a, a snap card. You know, it, it is revolutionary in that, like I said, I've always joked that I'm, I'm an army of one, a one-man army, for lack of a better term. But a lot of these tools have extended my capabilities in such a timeline that it would have been unfathomed a year ago. But of course, you need to be able to harness them. You need to know how to understand them and you need to know how they work. And and with that, I want to ask the question now, if, if someone is, if this is just totally brand new to them, whether it's for their business or for their family, for themselves and their jobs, where do you suggest they start? Where's a good place to start to really get to understand some of this? Mm, that's, a, that's a really good thing. So there's a lot of channels out there, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, the list goes on. They're all good, right? Like whatever your 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 means of education or engagement is, you'll likely find a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or a YouTube channel or a, a Reddit feed on, on a particular topic, uh, you know, whatever world you're in, uh, immerse yourself in there. But honestly, I didn't know what I was doing when I started, right? <laughs> you got to just do and learn and adapt and, and not just stop after your first try. And I think that's that's the problem. Most people try it, don't know what they're doing, don't get what they want, call it stupid and leave. 
Uh, it's not a, quite a rage quit. It's more of a, 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 I don't know any better quit. And they don't come back, right? And those that don't come back and and learn tool and play with it and try different things, knowing that they may break it or not break it, you know, uh, those are the ones that are going to basically come out of this ahead. Because if you're quitting on this, don't be surprised if you're blindsided. Now, of course, Robert, I've known you for over a decade and you're an extraordinary individual. So when you saying I know nothing started out knowing nothing, I mean, you're... <laughs> Your capability of generating knowledge quickly is just incredible. <laughs> you know, you know me well enough. I've got the stay humble tattooed, tattooed on my arm to remind me to stay humble, right? Uh, and there's a reason for that is by nature, I'm not humble because, yeah, I am so ahead in these things that it's very easy for me to inflate my head, which is why I always remind myself via the tattoo to be humble around this stuff. I literally say please and thank you to Chat GPT. That's the Canadian in me, maybe. How I interact with it is completely me. You know what I mean? It is is no different than how I would work with an employee, uh, you know, except this employee actually does what I tell him to do. <laughs> but you're also willing to share. And that's that's wonderful. Oh, you see, but that's how do I want to say this? You have to, right? We are in a creator economy. So, so it's twofold, right? I share so that I, people are aware of what I'm doing and hopefully, you know, I generate business from that. that. That's the monetization route for the sharing in the first place. But part of it is, you know, we no longer live in a world where, where we're living in self-contained containers, right? So if I'm working on something, it doesn't take me that much more time to share it. And especially now that I don't even have to go in front of a camera, put on an outfit, get the speaking right. Like how many times did you butcher the intro? Uh, I would have just fed that through a chat a, a GPT, uh, get it to formulate it, feed that into my 11 labs, and Rob would be speaking that perfectly every time, right? So the style changes, how you interact with the tools. There's very few times I sit in front of a, uh, of a camera now. Like this is one of them. You're hearing my real voice. You know how many people have been hearing my digital voice for the last year? You are hearing my real voice. I feel special. You are special. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it sounds like it came from the Lego Lego movie. <laughs> I almost wanted to pre-record a whole bunch of stuff and have it play. And you know, I'm not telling you that I was answering to see if you would pick up on it. Uh, I was half tempted to have pre-recorded answers and just, you know, Hit the play whenever you would think, feed it through uh, the mic, and, and you would think it was me answering it. The, the clone is that good. And how do I know that this is you? <laughs> because I swear. <laughs> at the end of the day, what? how do you make sure that it's Rob Levine? Did he swear at me? <laughs> okay, this is a family show. <laughs> it is a family show, yeah. which is why I, I, I did the S and not the F. Yeah. Rob, this has been fa absolutely fantastic. I mean, we have just barely, barely scratched the surface. Now, if someone wants to find out more about what you do, we'll definitely put some links in the show notes. But if somebody wants to get in touch with you, perhaps they might be interested in some of the services that you're offering or just even to try to connect with you. Where's the best way to do that? LinkedIn, for sure, uh, just because it, it's it's built for that purpose, right? Uh, so if you search Robert Levine or R. Levine 42, which is the alias that I've been using for, for so long, uh, you'll find me. Uh, I'm sure Greg will tag me in there somehow, so just click on that. Send me a follow or whatever. Uh, the digitalgrapevine.com has uh, all of the uh, Gen 4 or GPT-4 uh, eBooks that I've been crafting. 
Uh, it's also got a chat bot that interacts with it. So you can actually interact uh, with the SEO book and ask questions of the book and, and it'll summarize it for you. And you can even have it generate tests for you. You can literally go into ChatGPT4, give it the content, say, give me a multiple choice question and let it go through and test you. So it's great for everything. You can use it to prep for exams. You can use it to take exams. <laughs> That's Rob or Robert Levine. That's L-A-V-I-G-N-E. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. A new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com. Outsmarting the Butterflies.com.